The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. I hope you have your Bibles, and if you do, I want to encourage you to take them to the book of the Revelation, chapter number two this morning. The book of the Revelation, chapter number two. Uh, For those of you who are visiting with us today, we are currently in a series that we've entitled Encore. And, And the word Encore simply means repeat presentation. So throughout this particular uh, summer series, we've had the privilege of studying through uh, passages of the scripture that we've studied previously, and specifically passages that have had a profound impact on the life and the culture of our church family. And so today, we're going to continue that series. And if you've been here for the last several weeks, then you've started to notice a theme that's emerging. Uh, Several weeks ago, we talked about knowing God. What's it mean to know God? Uh, Last week, we spent some time looking at the idea of going deeper into experiencing God, because experiencing Him is deeper. It's more profound than simply knowing Him on an academic, intellectual level. And today, I'd like to speak on this subject of loving God, loving God, from the book of the Revelation, chapter number two. For those of you who are physically able, I want to invite you to stand as we read our text today. Revelation chapter number two. I will tell you in advance, uh, this is a little bit more of a serious message that I I hope will cause us uh, just to think a little bit. And so I'm going to be asking a lot of questions, and I hope you'll allow the Spirit of God to answer those questions uh, to your individual situation. The Word of God says in the book of the Revelation, I'm going to begin reading in verse one, and I might read down to verse four, maybe the beginning of verse five, and uh, let's talk about it a little bit today. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter number 2, verse 1, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Uh, We did a study through the book of Ephesians several years ago. This was a good church. Uh, They had a lot of things going for them. They they just, they were a great church. And and so here we see this is being written specifically to that church at Ephesus. And it goes on to say, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden golden candlesticks. So uh, this is being said by none other than Jesus Christ. And here's what Christ says. He says in verse 2, I know thy works. He says, I know thy labor. I know your patience. He goes on to say, and I know how you can't bear them which are evil, and you have tried them which say they're apostles, but they're not, and you found them liars. Verse 3 says, and you have borne, that is, you, you have persevered in the midst of struggle, in the midst of trials. He says, I know this about you. He says, I know you've been patient through that. In verse 3, he says, and I know that for my name's sake, you, you've labored and you've not fainted. So here Christ is just, he's just giving them some profound affirmations about how well this church is doing and he he's basically saying hey you you know all the right things you're believing all the right things he says you're even doing all the right things but then we come to verse number four and he says but nevertheless nevertheless i i have something against you that you what well What's Christ talking about? Why, why would he have something against a church that was knowing all the right things, believing all the right things, and doing all the right things? What, what, what could he possibly say? He says this. He says, I have somewhat. There's a little something. There's a little something. He says, I have against you. It's something I want to challenge you with, something I want you to think about. He says, what is it? He says, you've left your first love. He says, you used to labor out of a heart of love. You used to believe out of a heart that was motivated by affection and passion for me. And he says, something's happened along the way. And he says, you've left that. You're no longer motivated and driven by love. You're still doing all the things. You're still going through all the motions, but it's coming from a different place in your your soul. He goes on to say, verse 5, so remember from whence you are fallen. He says, I want you to remember those times when you used to have that passion and that affection for God and you used to to love him more than anything else. And he goes on to say, he says, remember that. He says, I want to ask you to repent and do the first works. Do the first works. What is the first works? If the first works isn't knowing and the first works isn't believing and the first works isn't doing what God wants to do, what is those first works? And he says in verse number four, the first work is, is to love. To love God 
above all else. As we've said, we've looked at knowing God two weeks ago. Last week, we looked at experiencing God. Um, I want to pray in just a moment that God's word will illuminate something in our hearts and that we'll understand on a, a, on a deeper level what it is to truly love God above all else. Can I lead us in a word of prayer and then we'll get into our Bible study? Dear gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to say up front, thank you, thank you, thank you for loving us when we did not deserve it. Your love is unconditional, it's passionate, it's reckless, it's amazing, God, and we want to just bask in that for a moment. We want to experience that, just enjoy it and and sense it, even as we are praying right now. Thank you for your overwhelming, abundant love upon us. Thank you for it. May we enjoy it, may we experience it deeply in our own hearts and in our own souls. But Lord, I'm asking and I'm praying this morning that you would stir up in a deeper way my love for you. I'm asking for the individuals in this room that if there's some in here who who have lost their first love, they're they're still believing all the right things, they're still doing all the right things, but it's it's not necessarily coming from a place that's motivated by love and affection and passion for God. I pray that you would stir within them those first works of loving you above all else. I pray for our church family. I pray that we would be marked by our love first and foremost for you and then a love that overflows to our community around us. May we be known for our love, those first works. And Lord, if, if we as a church, Lord, have, have left that or lost that, I pray that we repent, that we get back to those first things. And Lord, if there's an individual here that's just going through the motions in their marriage, going through the motions with their family, going through the motions with their kids or at work or at church, and they're just doing it for the sake of doing it, I pray that you would stir within them afresh and anew their passion and love for you. God, I pray that you do in this service what I can't do. I, I can't change hearts, but you can. And so, Spirit of God, I pray that we would give you space to work in our lives as only you can. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated. Last year, it was my wife's birthday, and her birthday happened to fall on a Sunday. So, after church, we went out to eat, had some dinner, lunch together, had a good meal, and and since we had come to church in different vehicles, we were getting ready to leave the restaurant in different vehicles. I jumped into my vehicle, and the kids and my wife jumped into her vehicle. We were heading home, or at least put my finger on it. So I drove home and figured I'd talk to them when I get home. I got home and waited for them to arrive. A minute went by, five minutes went by. They didn't show up. All of a sudden, a half an hour goes by, an hour goes by. They're still not there. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world is going on? Like, where are they? I'm texting my wife. Where are you at? What's going on? You know, no reply, nothing. All of a sudden, about an hour plus later, uh, all of a sudden, I hear the door open up, and uh, all of them are smiling really big. And my wife looks at me, and she says, I bought myself a birthday present. I said, oh, did you now? I said, what did you get yourself? And she pulls out this little multi-poo puppy, this little white, fluffy, little furry puppy. And it's just, you know what puppies do. They just do their puppy thing. And in that moment, I was just like, oh, no, you did not just do this. (laughs) We had been talking about getting a dog for years, and I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know, you know, and just kind of bristling against it. And finally, she just made an executive decision, and... We now have ourselves a dog, all right? And uh, it's little Sophie. Sophie's been living with us for about a year. She's just the, the cutest little white little fur ball, you know, and uh, just, you know, great little dog. And what's so amazing about this dog, and I, I don't know if I should admit this or not, I know some of you are such dog people. Like, you just love dogs, and you can't get, you just more, you adopt dogs, love them, and da, da, da. And, and as much as I'd like to be that person, I, I'd want to be that person. I, I commend people who are those types of people. I, I just, I'm not. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not, that's not who, who I am, and I, I want to, and I just, I just, I just can't. And I remember looking at that dog and thinking, oh, man, well, it's, it's not my dog, but, you know, you know, whatever, you know, the kids love him, and my wife wanted a dog, and so we've, we've got this dog, and 
you know, running around. And here's what's crazy, and this is horrible. I, I, I'm not necessarily, you know, the most loving to our dog, you know, and I don't do anything mean to the dog, but, you know, I just, it's just, you know, that dog has their life, I have my life, we kind of, you know. This. But here's what's crazy about Sophie. Sophie just, just, just loves me to death. I mean, just loves me. Every time I come in the door, she'll come running down. She, I mean, it's been a year now. She still doesn't realize that I haven't figured out whether I even like Sophie. But Sophie sure does like me. And she just adores me. She loves me. She just always, uh, she'll just run in circles and jump up and wag tail and want to play. And, and I will say over the years, she's starting to grow on me a little bit, you know. And partly is just because I can't resist a little puppy that just is so passionate in love with me no matter what I do. <laughs> the dog just loves me regardless of how much love I bestow upon her. And I think about this in context to what we're talking about today, and, and I can think about a relationship with God, and, and I find that in the life of a believer, usually somebody's relationship with God, their love for God falls into one of three categories as way of introduction. E either their relationship with God is an absolute delight. They just love loving God, and, and they just find so much passion and affection in their relationship with God, and it comes from a deep place of the soul, and they just love God, and, and, and they just delight in their love for God. But sometimes over time, if we're not careful, what happens is our relationship with God, our affection for God, turns from being a delight and it just becomes a duty. Have you ever been there before? Where your relationship with God, it used to be so passionate and it used to be so exciting and it used to be so, you know, oh, and then all of a sudden over time you turn around one day and it's just, it's like more of a duty. You, you still believe what you always believed. You still do what you've always done. You're still going through the motions, but it's now a duty. It went from a delight to a duty, and, and maybe for some of you today, your Christian for him, how would you categorize it this morning? Is it delight? Is it duty? Or is it just a drudgery? And I think it's important for us as believers to understand, no, it's not, we, we can't just define loving God by what it produces. Because loving God will produce going to church, and loving God will produce studying the word, and loving God will produce, you know, good moral works. But those things aren't the essence of loving God. You say, well, how do you know that's true? We see it in this passage. God is saying here to the church at Ephesus, he's saying, hey, you know all the right things, he says in verse number two. He says, you're believing all the right things in verse number three. He says, you're, you're knowing and doing and believing everything that you're supposed to do, but you've left your first love. These people were knowing and believing and doing exactly what they're supposed to know, believe, and do. And God says, but you've lost the love. So what happens in our lives as believers, especially for those of us who've been in church for a while, we have all the expressions of loving God, but over time in our hearts, the essence of what loving God has begun to dissipate. And so if we're gonna understand loving God, we have to understand it in the context of not just what the expressions of loving God is, we have to ask ourselves, what is the essence of loving God? And, and according to a pure definition, what is loving God? It's, it is to have a, if you wanna jot some of these things down, is have great interest and pleasure in. Do you have a great interest in, and do you pleasure in experiencing God? If we were to just look at a dictionary definition, it's, it's an intense feeling of deep affection. Does that describe your relationship with God as a, as a, as a feeling of deep affection? Biblically speaking, the definition is a verb that speaks of valuing God. That means to you in your heart, he's so important to you that you prioritize him because you value him above all else. This is what, this is what love is. It's, it's to desire God. Do you desire God? To love him is to desire him, to want him, to value him, and to enjoy him. Do you enjoy the presence of God? Of God. See, these are elements of the 
essence of loving God rather than just talking about the expressions of loving God. We're going to talk about this more next week, but it's very, very important as believers to understand the difference between the essence of loving God and its expressions. Because if we're not careful, we can get to the place where we're expressing all the things that Christians express when they love God, but like the church at Ephesus, have lost our first love. And that is when our relationship with God moves from being a delight to becoming a drudgery. It's when we lose our first love. So today I want to look at three important aspects of what it means to love God and to help us more deeply and profoundly uh, be able to love him in a way that is enriching and fulfilling to us as believers. The Gospel of Mark, chapter number 12, if you want to turn there, the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 12, I want to read to you an important verse on this subject. It says this in verse 30, it says, you shall love the Lord thy God with, notice this, all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, notice this phrase, this is the, what is the next word? First commandment. This is the most important commandment. This is the priority over all else to love God. Now, I want you to see that word first because it shows up two times in our text in Revelation chapter number two. Notice it says in verse four, he says, I have somewhat against thee. Why? You left your first love. He goes on in verse number five. He says, I I want you to repent and do the first works. What is the first works? To love God. That's the first commandment. That's the first work is to love God. It's the priority, which leads us to our first thought this morning. If you want to jot it down in your Bible study, and that is simply this, loving God must become the priority in the life of the Christian. Loving God must become the priority in the life of the Christian. You see, the reason that people get away from the Lord and get away from their walk with God and get away from church and don't want to be with believers is because they no longer are experiencing the presence of God. They're no longer enjoying a love relationship with Him. And I want to remind you today as Christians, that is what Christianity is primarily about. It's not primarily doing something for God. It's about experiencing a relationship, a love relationship with God. And what happens in normal churches is over time, as the month and years go by we get congregations filled with people and it's all about doing this for God and doing that for God and doing those things for God like we see here at the church of Ephesus and they lose sight of what Christianity is truly all about and that is the first work which is the first love it starts with a passion and a love and an affection for God that is the hallmark that is the essence of what Christianity is about and once you lose that from the equation all you have left is empty religion that does nothing for the soul of a person it's vain it's religion it's pointless and purposeless and that's where the church of Ephesus was getting knowing all the right things believing all the right things they were even doing all the right things and all of a sudden they come along God comes along and says hey I need you to look at something you've, you've forgotten your first love Loving God must become the priority in the life of the Christian. It it has to become the priority over our hobbies. There's nothing wrong with hobbies. They're good. But it's sad when those hobbies now take priority over a relationship with God and loving Him. We get so invested in our hobbies that we no longer have margin in our spirit to enjoy and value and stir our affection for our relationship with God. Loving God must become the priority in our life over hobbies. I'll say this, over careers. And I think it's good to work. You need to have a job. It's good to work hard. But if we're not careful, what happens is making money and having a career and climbing the corporate ladder and looking for promotion becomes the priority over our relationship with God and our ability to enjoy God and sense Him and experience Him and have a passion for Him because loving God has to be the first thing. 
It's got to be above entertainment. We live in a society that is driven by entertainment. We got social media, we got video games, we got cable, we've got all kinds of channels, we got all different things that we can just amuse ourselves to death. I mean, we've got entertainment parks and we've got things we can go to and things we can do and entertainment galore. And what happens is, even among good Christians, is now entertainment, which is not a bad thing in its proper context, becomes a priority over experiencing a dynamic relationship with God. And all of a sudden, yeah, we have enough time for Netflix and we have enough time for Instagram and we have enough time for Facebook and we have enough time, you know, for amusement parks and we have enough time for, you know, this thing and that thing. And all of a sudden, where, where's our margin to experiencing and enjoying and sensing the life that only God can bring and only God brings satisfaction and fulfillment and contentment. And yet the reality is we prioritize hobbies and entertainment and career above our first work and that is to love God. And I'm not even saying your first work is to work for God or to do for God. That's a part of it. But the first work is to enjoy him, to experience him, to have an affection for him, to love him. Priorities. Hebrews 12 tells us this. It says, kind of in a a spirit of wisdom, it uh, it says, I want you to think about laying aside every weight. In that passage, the word weight is a metaphor for good things that keep you from the best things. And so the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, hey, hey, I want you to lay aside those weights, those good things that keep you from prioritizing the best things. So I ask you this question, what is that for you? What are the good things in your life? They're not sinful, they're not evil, they're not bad. They are good things in your life. And maybe it's a good hobby, and maybe it's a good job, maybe it's a good relationship, but you give it a place of prominence in your life to where all of a sudden now it becomes a weight because you can no longer see the most important thing, and that is an enjoyable, experiential relationship with God that's fulfilling and satisfying and brings ultimate contentment. One theologian said it this way, To be loved by God is the greatest blessing. How many of you are so grateful God loves you? You think about everything you've done, everything in your past, every mistake, every struggle, and I want to say this, that God's unconditional, favorable love is poured out upon you. God loves you. He adores you. It's the greatest blessing. To be loved by God is the greatest blessing, and it goes on, the theologian went on to say, and to love God is the greatest virtue. There is nothing more fulfilling, nothing more satisfying, nothing that brings more contentment than an experiential, enjoying relationship in loving and being loved by God. Second Thessalonians chapter number three, verse five, we'll put this on the screens. Here's what the scriptures say. May the Lord direct your heart into the love of God. You know what the spirit of God wants to do in your life? You know what he's trying to do in your life? He's trying to get you to a place where your heart loves God. And by love, I just mean values. You're passionate. You're enjoying God. I'm just talking about loving him. We're not talking even today about what that love will produce. That's not the point of this message today. The point of this message is, do you even have a heart that loves God? And loving God must become the priority of, of our lives. Because it's only in the presence of God, it's only in the essence of God that there's fulfillment and satisfaction. And some people in here, you will look to a thousand things smaller than a relationship with God to find fulfillment and to find satisfaction and to find contentment. And I'm gonna tell you, you will chase that dangling carrot on the edge of that you know, little stick and you'll chase it for the rest of your life and you will never find contentment in anything other than a dynamic relationship with God. Because that is where life is, and that is where life more abundant is found. And you can search for it in relationships, you can search for it in your career, you can search for it in entertainment, you can search for it in your hobbies, you can search for it in power and in fame, and everything will leave you disappointed. Because satisfaction is found in a relationship with God and God alone. It's not that these other things are bad, but they can't become the priority, or else it will leave you with severe dissatisfaction let's keep going so the first thing we see is loving God must become the priority in the life of the believer turn to Genesis chapter number 15 verse 1 to set set the context of this A, a pagan king has just come to Abraham 
and has said to Abraham, Abraham, I want to give you all this money. I want to give you all these possessions. I want to give this thing to you, and I want you just to have it. And Abraham was struggling in his spirit because it was as if God was telling him, don't take all these riches. Don't take these possessions from this pagan king. And so uh, Abraham's a little bit concerned about this. And so we come to Genesis chapter number 15, verse 1. And these things, and after these things, the Bible says in Genesis 15, verse 1, after what I just described to you, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision saying, and he says this, Abraham, fear not. He says, I know you're afraid. Like, how, how are, how are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to take care of needs? You know, this would have helped a lot to have this money, to have these resources and have these rewards, you know, because basically this king was going to give him something in response to what Abraham had done. And, and, and he says, God says, hey, don't, don't fear. I'm going to take care of you, Abraham. He says, fear not. He says, why? He says, I am your shield. I'm your protector. I'm your provider. He says, I'm going to take care of you. And he says this, and this is what I want you to focus on. And he says, fear not. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. This is big. God does not say to Abraham, I will give you an exceeding great reward. What does he say? He says, I am your exceeding great reward. I am the reward. I am the gift. I am the blessing. You see, that doesn't even make sense. It begins to make sense when you understand that that relationship with God and enjoying God is what brings fulfillment and what brings abundant life and what brings satisfaction and what brings contentment. When you understand that it is the essence of God that allows you to experience life and life more abundantly, in that moment it clicks in your mind and you begin to realize God doesn't just give the gifts. God doesn't just give the rewards. He doesn't just give the blessing he is the blessing he is the reward and if that doesn't make sense in your head it's because you still don't understand who God is you see God as a cosmic genie in the sky who can get you what you want but you don't see him as the essence of what you want and when that happens everything changes which leads us to our second thought this morning and that is this Loving God must be an end unto itself, not just the means to another end. You say, what do you mean by that? Loving God is the goal. And if you understood all that God was and all that God desires to be to you and all that he is in his essence, you would understand he is the award. He is the reward. He is the blessing. He is the gift. And when you've got God, honestly, at the end of the day, you've got everything you need. Loving God must be an end unto itself, not just the means to another end. Can I say this? God is not your lucky rabbit's foot that you, you know, rub every time you need something from him. He's not a cosmic genie in the sky that gets you everything you want, just this, you know, divine, you know, just kind of vending machine. That's how a lot of people tend to view God. And here's the question I want to ask you. Is God the goal? Or is he just the means to what you really want? This is a big question. Because for some of us here, the reality is this. We don't really want God. We don't. We want what we think God will give us. And so we'll jump through the hoops of religion and we'll kind of dot our I's and cross our T's and we'll walk the walk and talk the talk because deep down, what we really want is what we think he will give us. Give me a better relationship. He'll give me a better boyfriend. Give me a better husband. Give me a better job. Give me a better, you know, bank account. Give me more stuff. Give me happiness. This is what God will give me. So what we really want is those gifts from God. We don't really want God himself. He's kind of like, well, you're going to have to go through God to get that stuff. So I'll put up with God to get through those things. So I ask you, is loving God an end to itself? Or is God just the means by which you've perceived that will get you what you really want, what you really value? what you really desire, what you really deeply want. Is God just the means to your deeper loves? Or is he the deeper love? And I'm going to say this. You pursue God, he's not going to jip you. The essence of all that God is is really what your soul desires. Whether you realize it or not, What you want most in this life, 
not a better husband or a better wife or a better job or cooler things. Whether you realize it or not, all of those things are just metaphors for deep satisfaction. You chase those things because of what you think they'll give your soul. But what your soul, what your soul most desperately desires is the essence of all that is God. God is what your heart yearns for. And the enemy comes along and tells you, no, what your heart really yearns for is that individual, that possession, that vehicle, those vacations. And the reality is none of those things are bad. That's not a message to downplay those things. What I'm saying is they're illusions. Because what satisfies and what brings contentment and what brings fulfillment is the essence of what God is and an abiding, enjoyable, experiential relationship with that God. That is what satisfies. And as long as you are using God and you perceive God as being the thing that'll get you what you really want and what you really love and what you really value, you're missing the point. And in missing the point, you miss abundant life. Is loving God, is it just the means to something else? Is, is the reason you pursue God so you can get blessings from God? Is the reason you pursue God is so you can get rewards from God? Is the reason you pursue God is so you can get gifts from God? Or are you pursuing God for God himself? Um, so w- when I was in second grade, I don't know, seven years old, um, I really, really loved baseball cards. I don't know if that's a thing anymore, but, you know, back in the 80s, like, baseball cards with second and third grades, that was a big deal, you know? Anybody in here, any of you guys ever collect baseball cards when you were a little bit younger? Okay, a few of you. It's a couple girls in here. (laughs) Awesome. Baseball cards is the way to go. That's awesome. I love baseball cards. And back in the 80s, uh, the baseball cards that uh, I would collect would come in these packs, and inside of these packs of baseball cards, Dan, you remember what they used to put inside the pack of baseball cards? You get to... Yeah, a little stick of gum. You remember that? Yeah, a little stick of gum in there. And so for a second grade boy, this was just a double whammy. You know, not only do I get cool baseball cards, you know, but I also get a stick of gum. This was, this was like, at, at seven years old, life didn't get better than a pack of baseball cards and a stick of chewing gum. I mean, this was just life at its best. I, lo- I loved it. Loved baseball cards, collected them, had a good time with them, and just a great time. Um, some of you know that I grew up in a family, and there were, uh, I was the oldest of, uh, of seven kids, but for my uh, few years, there were four of us when I was about that age, there was four boys in the family. So it was just boys, uh, me, Caleb, Micaiah, Daniel, and uh, when I was about seven years old, that would have been, we just boys, right? And so because of that, I didn't, I, I just, you know, whether it was a lot of different reasons, uh, one thing, as much as I love baseball cards, I, I kind of, I didn't, I hate, <laughs> honestly, I loathe uh, girls, just in general. Like, I, I, I didn't like, just, 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 didn't like girls at all. My friends had told me that they had this dreaded disease. It was called the cootie. I don't know how many of you heard of the cootie. And so the girl had the cootie. Uh, so I was like, man, I want nothing to do with this. This was really bad. Uh, when I was in first grade, this girl touched me. You know, I don't even know if it was on purpose. But uh, you, didn't, you didn't touch Josh Ermler, all right? And so I took this horrible. I took her hand and I bent back her finger. I was like, don't touch me again. And she came back the next day and she had her finger in a cast. I'd broken her finger. I said, That's, you broke a girl's finger? Now, I just want to say it was before I was a Christian. I had not been saved yet. <laughs> so that was, that was my life before Christ. And, uh, you know, that was, but it's a true story, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I feel really bad now. I can't believe I did that, but that was just, that was the reality. Man, I just did not, couldn't stand girls. Well, one day I was in second grade, and this girl comes over to me, and she passes me one of these little notes, you know, on, on school paper. And uh, I was kind of looked at her all with disgust. And I opened it up and opened it up. And, and it said this. It says, uh, would you be my boyfriend? <laughs> question mark. Heart. Question mark. <laughs> and then had these boxes. I don't know if they did this when you were in grade school. It was these little boxes. One box said yes. <laughs> Another little box, No. <laughs> Yes or no? I'm just looking at this thing, and literally as I'm reading it as a second grade, seven-year-old boy, I'm just like, I'm so disgusted by this thing. I mean, what aura was I giving off that even began to lead a little girl to believe that I would want anything to do with her, let alone be her boyfriend, you know? I wanted to crumple that thing up, throw it out her side, rather kiss a pig, you know? That's like how I was feeling in the moment. (laughs) 
And I was just, I was getting ready, and I, you could, I could see on my face, you know, I was getting ready just to kind of just tell her off a little bit, you know, because I was just, no one, and, and before I had a chance to answer, she said to me, if, if you'll be my boyfriend, I'll give you a pack of baseball cards every day. <laughs> well, this changed things a little bit. <laughs> I was like, what'd you say? She said, if you'll be my boyfriend, I'll give you a pack of baseball cards every day. I was like, oh, man. I was like, the, the kind with like, you know, the, the bubble gum in them? She's like, oh yeah. <laughs> I thought about it for a while and I was like, all right, fine. Check yes, threw the paper at her. And that's how my first relationship began. <laughs> and uh, so for the next few days, while all my friends were out there, they were playing recess on the jungle gyms, playing football and tag. They run around everywhere. Being a boyfriend in second grade uh, consisted of sitting on a bench uh, next to a girl and having to in- miss out on recess entirely. You couldn't go to recess. You had to just sit there. You know, and so I'm sitting there, you know, like this, and all my friends are playing, and they're looking at me like, ah, you know, I'm just sitting there. I'm so miserable. I'm, ah, I hated life. And then at the end of the break, she'd give me some baseball cards. I'd open up, run away, and be gone as fast as I could, you know, and put the gum in my mouth. And, you know, I was just kind of like, and, and for a couple days, I was like, yeah, it was kind of cool. But honestly, after a few days, it was like, I don't know if this is worth it. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at my friends, we're playing tag and football, they're having so much fun out there, you know, and I don't even like this person, you know, but I'm hanging out with them, and the only reason I'm doing it is to get some baseball cards and gum, and finally, after a few days, I was just like, you know what, it's over, you know, we are done, we're no longer in a relationship, she said, but I won't give you any more baseball cards, I said, you keep your baseball cards, I don't want nothing, I'm out of here, you know, and I know for some of us, we're sitting there, we listen to a story like this, and we're like, that's that's not really good. Like, how, how could you just kind of hang out with somebody just for what they would get you? But here's my question to you. How many of us does that describe our relationship with God? <sighs> I guess I'll go to church and hang out with God for a minute. On our phones, like, oh, man. Look what they're doing out there. They're having so much fun. Oh, man, look at... Man, look at what they get to do. They don't, they don't have to be a Christian. They get to have so much fun. And, look at, and we're just like, well, but maybe, uh, you know, God says maybe he'll give me a good life or something or make me, give me a promotion at work. And we're just like, and, and that's, that, that's us, right? We, we're, like, we're like forcing ourselves in a sense of duty and drudgery to kind of endure this relationship. Why? Because of what we've convinced ourselves we'll get out of it. And it's sad that in the 21st century in Western America, that defines the majority of believers' relationship with God. It is about what they perceive they will get out of it. And the moment what they get out of it isn't fulfilling, they leave the relationship completely because it was never about the relationship in the first place. And what I want to remind you of is this, that it's about the relationship. Loving God must be an end to itself, not just the means to another end. I think they're going to throw this on the screens. The point of the Christian's life is the pursuit of God. I should say this. The point of the Christian's life is not the pursuit of God's presence, his gifts, his blessings, but rather the pursuit of God's presence. That's what Christianity is about. But too many 21st century American Christians, all Christianity is about is God's gifts and blessings and presence. And as long as his gifts and blessings and presence outweigh the drudgery of a relationship with him, that's not even really a relationship, it's what we conceive, perceive to be the relationship, then we'll kind of endure it. But we're not experiencing the joys of that relationship. This is why Matthew chapter number 6, verse 33 says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is the priority. It's, it's about him. It's about a relationship with him. It's about what he provides. This is what it's all about. But let's keep moving on, all right? So here's the question then, right? We're supposed to love God, you know, and we're talking about, you know, loving God must be the priority, and we're talking about the fact that loving God must be uh, the end unto itself, not just the means to getting something else. But then the question is this, how, how, right, how do we love God the way we should? You ever ask that question? Like, how? 
Like, my goal here is not just to make you all feel guilty and make myself feel guilty because it's like, well, I know God's not really the end. He's not really a priority. And let's all go home and feel like utter failures, right? Is that the big goal? How? How do we love God in these ways? Here's what 1 John chapter number 4, verse 19 says. It says, we love him because... We love him because, get this, we love him because, why? He first loved us. What this verse teaches us is that loving God is reactive, not proactive. You say, what do you mean by that? Loving God is not something we just make ourselves do, you know, by trying really hard and thinking really, like, I'm just gonna love God. And that would be like me sitting on that little park bench trying to like that girl that I had just was not interested in at all. Like, I'm gonna like her. That's not how that works. No, it is not a proactive thing. It's reactive. We love God because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. You say, how do you grow in loving God? You grow in loving God by reminding yourselves regularly, by focusing regularly, by stirring up regularly in your soul the fact that he, he loves you, he adores you, he wants what's best for you. And it is only in basking in his love for you. It is only enjoying his love for you. It is only in experiencing his love for you deeply and profoundly and regularly that you will begin to love him trying to love God any other way is an exercise in futility that will never work you just try to love God by doing this and thinking harder and never focus and trying you're never going to love him here's how we love God by rehearsing again and again and over and over and regularly and regularly all the love that he pours out upon us we love him because it's reactive he first loved us. We don't love God naturally. Here's point number three. Loving God naturally happens when I'm regularly experiencing his great love for me. That's how you love God. We love God when we're regularly experiencing his great love for us. Not, we, don't, we don't love God because he doesn't love us because we deserve it or because we earned it or because we're looking for it. No. Somebody once said it this way. When we see Christ clearly, we love him dearly. We see him for who he is. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 14. I want you to see this. Notice what it says. It says, for the love of Christ constrains. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. The love of Christ constrains. The word constrain means to compel. It means to motivate. It's the love of Christ that motivates us. You try to love God from any other motivation, it will not work. It's God's love that motivates us to love him. Going to church probably won't motivate you to love him if you're not coming to church and experiencing his great love for you. Love for God is motivated by his love for you. So here's our big takeaway and we'll be done. I wanna encourage you with this in our conclusion. I wanna encourage you to prayerfully consider prioritizing the things that stir your passion for God. Prioritize the things that stir your passion for God. What are those things that when you do with a heart of faith and expectation, stir up your heart's affection and passion in love for God? What is it that when you do with expectation and anticipation and faith and belief, you do it from a right motivation and it, you walk away and you're like, I'm more in love with God. And I want to encourage you to prioritize that. Prioritize that faith, prioritize that margin that stir your passion for God. And then secondly, I, I could reverse this. What are those things that cool your passion for God? What are things that you allow into your life and over time they make you want God less and desire God less and enjoy God less? Are there things? It's not that they're bad things. But what is it that gets you to a place where you just, you don't really value God anymore? You don't enjoy him. Your heart's not passionate. Prioritize by, with a spirit of faith things that stir your passion for God. You, you say, how does this work for you? And I, 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 I want to be careful to use myself as an illustration of, you know, how you know, how perfect a Christian can be because I'm far from it. But let me just talk to you a little bit about how it works in my own experience. Uh, tomorrow morning, I'm gonna get up 
And to be honest, many Monday mornings, just because of the way Sundays go, I'll just be transparent and honest with you, whether it's an adrenaline rush that's just physiological or whether it has something to do with just a, a lot of the intensity of what takes place on Sunday, the reality is a lot of times on a Monday, Sunday evening, I can get very, very just kind of drained emotionally, uh, psychologically, physiologically. It's just, it just I, can, I don't want to say depression, but it can get there, the despondency for sure just empty. And in those moments, I'm going to be quite honest with you, sometimes my affection for God, my, you know, zeal for the Lord, my passion, it's just, it's like just gone. I'm just going to be, I'll just be transparent. I'll just be honest, all right? You say, well, you're a pastor. You, you shouldn't, that shouldn't happen to you. Well, go find a church with a better pastor than I don't want to tell you. That's, that's my story. I struggle sometimes. I struggle with, with, with always being 100% passionate for God every second of every day, you know? And I, I know you guys are like not like that, right? You guys are always passionate for God and on fire and zeal. So I'm, I know I'm feeling a little awkward here because I feel like maybe I'm the only one. And so because of that, for me and the rhythms of my life, Monday mornings really just have over the years become a time where I know that, you know, Mondays, I just got to prioritize the things that stir my passion for God. And so it is, won't be uncommon for me on a Monday morning to spend several hours just in prayer and meditation in the word, just with a heart of faith saying, God, I pray, you know my heart affection is, and I don't know if it's emotional, and I don't know if it's physiological, and I don't know all the details. You know my body, you know my brain, you know my soul, but in faith, God, I want to, I want to prioritize some things that in the past you have used as conduit of your grace to stir up my affection for you and my passion for you, and I'll, I'll go to this book, and oftentimes I'll find promises of all the ways in which God has loved me, and all the ways God has blessed me, and all the good that God has bestowed upon my life and I'll take those promises and I'll just bask in them for a while and I'll just meditate on them and I'll just ruminate on them and I'll think about them and focus on them until it's like a, it's just the water of the word washing my soul. I'll go to God in prayer and just unload my cares upon him knowing that he cares for me, believing all the ways in which he has loved me. I'll meditate on just all that he is. The Bible says be still and know that he is God and just taking time to be, to be still. You say, well, why do you prioritize those times in your, in your daily rhythms? Here's why. Because for me, I have found when I do it with a spirit of faith, believing that God is going to use it, that what ends up happening is throughout those few hours, my soul gets renewed and energized and my passion for God and my affection for him begins to rise. And I want to prioritize those things that stir my passion for him. What about you? How does this work for you? I want you to imagine for a moment a church that is in love with God. There, imagine us being a church that's just so in love with God. We're, we're more in love with God than ourselves. We're more in love with God than our image and how people perceive us. We are more in love with God than our preferences. I'm telling you what, there are churches, even in this city, that are more in love with their traditions than they are with their God. There's nothing wrong with traditions. But when you love God when you love your preferences and your traditions more than you love God and you prioritize your traditions and preferences more than you do your relationship with God, I'm telling you what, that's one mark of an unhealthy position of your soul. It's not wrong to love preferences and love traditions. But don't love them more than God. Don't prioritize them more than God. Be careful. Let's end it with our passage. Go, go back to Revelation chapter number two. Verse four. He says, hey, I know you're knowing the right things. You're believing the right things. You're even doing the right things. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. You've left your first love. Notice verse five. Remember, remember, remember from where you're fallen. Remember the fact that you used to, how you used to love him where this service for God and your beliefs flowed out of a passion and you were motivated out of love for God. Remember, he says, repent. Notice this, do the first works or else. Watch this or else I will come unto you quickly and remove your candlestick out of this place, except thou repent. Now, here's what, here's what the Spirit is saying to the church at Ephesus. 
This is a metaphor. And he's saying here, I'm going to remove your influence. I'm going to remove your impact. I'm going to remove your ability to make a difference in the world if you don't come back to this first love. And, and so to the ambassador church family, here's what I want to say. I know for me, my desire in this church is not that we're just some type of religious social club going through the motions of some type of religious activity. We sing songs, we open the word, we just dot our eyes, cross our T's, walk, 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 walk. That's not, we're here to glorify Christ and propagate the gospel to the nations to make an impact so that our candlestick, that our influence can be made known abroad for the cause of Jesus Christ, not for our glory, not for our fame, but for his. And what this passage teaches is you can know the right things and believe the right things and even do the right things. And God says, I will still snuff out your influence if you lose this first love. And so we have churches all over the valley. We have churches in our country that are knowing the right things, believing the right things, and even doing all the right things. And they have no influence. They are making no impact. They are not making a difference in their community because they are simply going through the motions of something that appears good. It has a form of godliness, but denies the power thereof. And God has come along through his spirit and snuffed out their impact. And no one's getting saved, and nobody is being discipled, and no one being baptized and no community impacts being made because the spirit of God has said done because yes I know you're doing the right things and you're believing the right things but you've forgotten what this thing is all about he says it's all about the first things it's all about love In fact, 1 Corinthians says if what you're doing is not done out of love for God with an overflow of love for others, he says your life's like a clanging cymbal. It's making a lot of noise, but it's not doing anything. Guys, I don't know about you, but I believe God isn't done with us. He isn't done with you. He wants you to have an influence in your family and in the lives of your children. He wants you to be influential in the lives of your grandchildren. He wants you to make an impact in your marriage and at your workplaces. But it's more than just knowing the right things that the Bible says and believing, you know, what your church teaches and doing everything that moral Christians are supposed to do. In fact, you could do all those things and make no impact in your children's life and have no difference made in your grandchildren's life and not impact your family or your marriages because you've lost the first things. You've lost the first love. There is no love. There is no passion there is no affection left and the spirit of God says because there is no love. It's done. And I want to challenge us to ask ourselves this question. Have we lost our first love? Have we lost it. You say, how do we get it back? By working hard and trying. No, we get it by just focusing on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and remind ourselves and remember and focus and bask and experience and enjoy all his great love for us. That's how you get it back. Get it back by zoning in on the gospel, the good news of all that he's done for you. And then your love for him will flow out and overflow to those around you. Have you lost your first love? Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.